Hello, FBC Keller family and all those tuning in. My name is Andrew Ledbetter, and I am a Sunday school teacher here at First Baptist Keller in the A57 class. Our class is composed, for the most part, of uh, those that are raising younger kids, uh, ages through Im- ages from infancy, uh, up through about elementary school, and in some cases even up to into junior high. In terms of my uh, work, I'm a professor at Texas Christian University. Uh, I also uh, love teaching in A57, so I get to teach in a lot of different contexts. In terms of my family, uh, you might be blessed to know my wonderful wife, Jessica, or our two amazing daughters. So as we come together here today, I think that this passage here, Romans 5, I think it presents a timely word for us. I know that we're going through a difficult time in the life of our nation and indeed the life of our world right now. And I think it is good in this time to be reminded of all that we have been given as followers of Jesus Christ. So let me go ahead and just open us here with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for the promises in it. And I thank you for the gift and blessing of technology that we can come and we can communicate with each other even across distance. I pray that you would guide me as I speak today. I pray that you guide the hearts of all those who are hearing this and reading your word and pray that you would guide us into your truth for your glory. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so as you open up your Bibles to Romans 5, I just want to mention something that has been on my mind during the midst of this crisis. I'm sure we have a lot of things on our mind, but uh, funnily enough, what's been on my mind has been the desire to go on a vacation. And I think part of the reason for that is that's kind of the opposite of the mode of life for us right now. We're kind of cooped up. We can't go places and just being able to go someplace and get away. Boy, that sounds really fun right now. I think part of the reason why I've been interested in that too is we've been talking about that in my household quite a bit. You see, my wife and I just uh, were blessed to celebrate our 15th wedding anniversary, and we had hoped to mark that occasion with some kind of trip. Obviously, right now is really not a great time to do that. Maybe we'll be able to do that sometime in the future, Lord willing. But I confess I've spent some time looking on websites, looking at vacation packages, And it's so interesting how they're structured. They tell you all the wonderful benefits that you get from going on that vacation. Uh, Maybe it's the meals. You get free breakfast. You get uh, perhaps free dinners. Maybe it's all-inclusive. Maybe they talk about the amenities that you get to enjoy at the facilities. Maybe there's a rock climbing wall and a swimming pool. Maybe you get to go on some kind of excursions to nearby attractions. Maybe you get to see, see shows and so forth. Well, I'm sure some of those vacation packages that are out there in normal times are are quite fun, and maybe some of them live up to the hype. At other times, maybe we're disappointed. We go on that vacation and think, wow, that really didn't live up to the advertising. But here's the thing. As we look at God's Word and we look at what He has given us, uh, all the benefits that He has given us in salvation, they do not disappoint. We know that they are sure. And here in this passage, it's kind of like Paul is presenting to us the benefits package we get as followers of Jesus Christ. What's the package that we get through our salvation in Him? And I think it's a timely, encouraging word for us here because Paul presents these these benefits, these wonderful gifts that we get from God, not only in the midst of times that are easy, but especially in the midst of sufferings. God can use those sufferings for His glory. So today as we look at Romans 5, I want us to see the point here that in Christ, God has given us peace, grace, and hope in the midst of a world of suffering. So let me go ahead and read the passage for us here. Uh, Romans 5, 1 through 6, and I'm reading from the ESV version. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Okay, so let's go and look at this passage verse by verse. And as we start with verse 1, we hit a word that is a key word in many passages, and that word is therefore. Now, you may have heard the saying that when we encounter a therefore in Scripture, we should ask what the therefore is there for. That's a bit of a cliche, maybe, but it's really good advice. That's what we should do. We should say, okay, what is leading us into this verse here? What, what is being referred to earlier that we should have in mind as we look at this verse? Well, if we think about this, therefore, in Romans 5.1, we really could go back and think about the entire context of the book, but we certainly could go back as far as chapter 3. And in the middle of chapter 3, after Paul has spent some time talking about the wrath of God that is being poured out on mankind because of our sin, he transitions and talks about how now we have the opportunity to have righteousness, the righteousness of God that is by faith. He describes this in verse 322 as the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And then in chapter 4, he uses Abraham as an example of that righteousness by faith. So let's go ahead and back up a few verses and look at that. I'm going to start in Romans 4.22 and read through the end of the chapter. That is why his faith, his being Abraham, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So please catch this truth, my friends. Paul is insistent that our righteousness, the righteousness that comes from God, is by faith. It is not by works. We can't ever go to God with a checklist of things we've, we've done and say, look, God, look at this checklist. I've ticked off all these boxes. You need to give me righteousness now. I have earned righteousness. No, that's not how it works. We cannot do that. We are, we are sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God, and we are saved by the work that Jesus has done for us on the cross. He has, look at verse 425, he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Theologians call this the doctrine of penal substitution. Jesus took our sins on the cross. He took the punishment that we deserve. But look what we get in exchange. We get the righteousness that we don't deserve. He takes the punishment for our sins, and what we get is the righteousness of God. If only we'll receive that by faith. It is not by works, our salvation, being counted righteous in God's sight, that is received by faith. And that's what that word justification means. Justification is a legal term. It means that God has looked at us and declared us not guilty. Not because we're actually not guilty, we are, but because Jesus has taken the punishment for our sins that we deserve. So as we come to this therefore, that's what this therefore is in the context of. In light of this truth, in light of this truth that salvation is by grace through faith. It is a righteousness of God. It's not of works. It's something that we receive by faith. In light of that truth, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we think about the word peace, 
I think it's interesting. I think as we talk about this in our language, it maybe has a couple of different directions of meaning. Uh, Sometimes we talk about peace being internal in nature. So internally, do we have peace in our hearts or are we anxious? And I love the sermons that Pastor Keith has done on this lately. And I would strongly encourage you, if you're struggling with anxiety in this time, which is understandable, there's a lot that tempts us to be anxious, please do listen to his sermons where he talks about from Philippians 4, for instance, and also from James 1, about how we can cast our anxieties upon the Lord. And God uses our struggles and our our trials to sanctify us, to grow us to be more like him. We'll see that truth addressed here in Romans 5 in just a minute as well. So as you think about the things in life right now that we might um, you know, not have peace about, uh, certainly I'm sure some of you are worrying about finances and jobs, uh, perhaps encountering a layoff or, or being concerned about one in the future. You might be worried about how you're taking care of your kids and taking care of their education, or if you are blessed to continue your work, how you do that with the kids at home. Some of you may be worried about your health or concerned about the health of loved ones, or you may just be concerned wondering when are things going to go back to normal. Well, those are all understandable concerns, but we are told in Philippians 4 that we can cast our anxieties before the Lord, uh, that we can bring those things to God in prayer, and God tells us not to be anxious. So I'd encourage you to listen to Pastor Keith's sermons on that. But even though the scripture clearly addresses that internal peace elsewhere, I think here what's being addressed is, we might say, external peace. So here we're talking about peace with God. So peace can sometimes be used as a word that's used as the opposite of anxiety, but sometimes it's used as a word that is the opposite of war or of combat or of conflict. And I think that is more the sense here. It's addressing the fact that before we come to Christ, we are enemies of God. Now you might say, whoa, that, that sounds harsh. Sometimes we don't, people often don't talk like that, that we are enemies of God. Why do you think that? Well, I think that because of what comes a few verses later. If we look down to Romans 5.10, Paul writes, For if while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God, of God is not in there, but if while we were enemies, that's clearly the context, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, and then he goes on, and we'll look at that verse a little later on, but for now, I just want us to see the contrast. Now, if we are in Christ, we are reconciled, but before... We were enemies of God. We had active conflict with him. We were sinners that were set against his ways. We rebelled against him. And as earlier in this book in Romans 1, Paul states so clearly, we were under God's wrath. Okay, But now in Christ, as those that have been justified by faith, we have peace. And it's worth noting this peace is not just an absence of conflict. Sometimes you can have an absence of conflict and things are still kind of tense. You don't really talk to each other. It's kind of like a country that, yeah, they're not fighting, but they have a barbed wire fence. They have a demilitarized zone. That's not the picture here. This piece, many commentators think, is drawn from the Jewish notion of shalom. And that piece is, is not like a barbed wire fence. It's like, it's like the relationship has been restored. We can come and we can have fellowship. We can have harmony. We can engage one another as friends. There is peace. There is restored relationship between us. And again, down in verse 10, that seems to be how this is framed. We were reconciled to God. It's not just a cessation of hostilities. It is a reconciliation of the relationship with him. Okay, so it's not an absence of conflict. We have been restored to a relationship of harmony with God. 
That's one of the benefits that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. But guess what? There's more. So, you know, like somebody explaining a vacation package, Paul goes on. And in the next verse, there's a key word here also that is kind of like Paul saying, but wait, there's more. Uh, Verse 2 goes on, through him we have also, there's the word, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Okay, so in addition to this peace, we also have grace. We have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So as we think about that word grace, which we talk about as Christians quite a bit, we often think of that in terms of our salvation, and we should. Grace is often defined as getting something that we don't deserve, and certainly our salvation is something we do not deserve. That's why we can't earn it. Nobody who is saved can say, yep, this is something I've earned. No, it is a free gift that God has given to us received by faith. So that is certainly true of our salvation. It is a gift of grace, but it is, our Christian life is more than that. All of our Christian life involves grace. All that we have from God is a gift of grace. In preparing uh, for this lesson, I looked at theologian Douglas Moo, who is a professor at my alma mater, Wheaton College, and he puts it that the Christian lives in a constant state of grace, and that grace stands over the entire Christian experience. So we could think about that. What are these gifts that we have received by grace? Well, certainly it's the things talked about in this chapter. It's the peace we have with God. In a moment here, we'll talk about joy and hope. We have these things by grace. The fact that we have a Bible here that we can read, that God has revealed himself in the pages of Scripture, that is grace. We could think about the the material and physical comforts that God provides for us day by day, even in a time of suffering and and need for many people. uh, Those things, having those things is a gift of grace. And one thing that I'm missing right now that is a gift of grace that God has given us is not just relationship with him. That's a wonderful gift of grace. But God has also given us the gift of relationship with other Christians, with other believers. And right now, for a time, uh, we're separated from one another physically. We're certainly not separated in our hearts. We love and we care for one another. And fortunately, we live in a day and age where we can still communicate with one another. And I'm grateful for those things. Those are gifts of grace as well. But I hunger for the day, as I'm sure many of you do, when we can come back together and fellowship one another face-to-face in our local church body. And in fact, I'd even say it this way. Uh, I've certainly heard people express that longing within my Sunday school class to come back together and fellowship face to face. But I'd say if you're not experiencing that longing, if you don't have that desire to interact and engage with other, other Christians, with the body of Christ, that might be cause to ask, am I really in Christ? Because those who are in Christ should hunger to fellowship with other Christians. So I hope that you are. I know I certainly am, and many members of my Sunday school class are. But that is certainly a gift of grace, the opportunity to fellowship, uh, to interact, to be held accountable, uh, to encourage, to serve and support other members of the body of Christ, and to work together to share the gospel and to show God's love to the world. So our our entire Christian experience is a gift of grace. It stands over the entire Christian experience. So we have peace. We have grace. But again, wait, there's more. It's not just that. We also rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So what is this hope? Well, this hope is certain. It is the certain knowledge that God will accomplish his purposes. We know how this story that God has written will end. 
we know that one day the Lord will complete our salvation in glorification. We don't know that about things in this world sometimes, how they'll turn out. For example, as I think about the coronavirus, it strikes me we really don't know. In fact, as I read articles on this, I even see scientists that spend their entire lives studying these things that say, we just don't know. We have some guesses, but we're not certain how things will turn out. Maybe things will get better. Maybe things will get worse. Uh, Maybe this will last for a long time. Maybe it'll be short. Maybe life will never go back to normal. Maybe it will. I don't know. You don't know. Uh, The doctors don't know. Our leaders don't know. But God knows. In fact, God has revealed to us what the end of the story of this world will be. And we're given a beautiful picture of that in Revelation 22.4. We're told that we will be free from the very presence of sin. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. In fact, let me read something else here from from 1 John about this hope that we have of the glory of God. I love this passage. Uh, 1 John 3, 2 through 3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That is the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ, my brothers and sisters. It's the hope of the glory of God. We will be with him for eternity. We, we, we will see him when he appears. Uh, we shall be like him. He is, he is purifying us. He is sanctifying us this side of heaven. And one day when he takes us home or when he returns, we will be glorified and we'll be freed from the presence of sin. So we rejoice in that. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It is a future-directed hope. But it's not just that. Our joy is not just in the future. Our joy is in the here and now. And that might be a striking thing to say in times like this. Times are kind of tough. How can we have joy in the here and now? Well, verse 3 is striking in how the Lord puts this, writing through Paul. He says, more than that. So again, but wait, there's more. We rejoice in our sufferings, whoa, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. So Paul writing this, I think it's important to remember who he was. He experienced suffering. In fact, I think it's hard to think of characters in the Bible that experienced more suffering than Paul. We might think of Job, but certainly Paul had his share of sufferings, particularly for the sake of the gospel. He writes about this a lot. We know that he struggled with health issues. We know that he struggled with persecution. He experienced persecution from those who were opposed to the gospel. We know that he was shipwrecked. We know that he faced a multitude of sufferings in his life. And yet here he can write, we rejoice in our sufferings. Why not because the suffering itself is good in and of itself, but rather because of the sovereignty of God over those sufferings that the Lord in his sovereignty is taking those sufferings which are difficult and painful and he is using them for his purposes, for his glory, to produce in us endurance and character and hope, in other words, to make us more like him. The pastor put it this way in his recent sermon that the Lord is making us better Christians through our experience with sufferings. I also thought about an example from the life of one of my daughters and got her permission to share this with you. Uh, She was on a basketball team a while back. And this basketball team for the first part of the season didn't do very well. 
They experienced several losses. It was a tough start to the season. Things were not looking good for them, but they persevered. And uh, even though they were near the bottom of the league at one point, they somehow managed to climb their way back up and they got to kind of the middle of the pack in their league. And they made their way into the playoffs, being about in the middle of the league. And uh, as they went into the first playoff game, they, they won that game. And then they went to the second game. And in the second game, they were facing a team that was undefeated, had never lost a game all season. And I'm sure that as that team went into that game, they thought, we are going to mop the floor with this team that doesn't have anywhere near as good a record. Well, that's not what happened. My daughter's team uh, was in the fight. They worked hard. They got ahead of the other team. And you could just tell this was the other team. This was their first taste of the possibility of defeat. And they really couldn't handle it. And they kind of fell apart. And my daughter's team ended up winning that game. In fact, in the next game, which was the championship championship game, my daughter's team was down, and uh, by down by quite a bit, but they hung in there and they persevered and they won the game right at the very end. Hit a shot right at the buzzer and they won that game. Obviously, I was a very proud parent. It wasn't my daughter that made the shot, I should be clear, but uh, still they won that game. And after afterwards, I talked to my daughter and I said, you know, I think I know why you guys won. You guys won because you knew what it was like to suffer through defeat. You were psychologically equipped to deal with the position of being down in a game. And other teams you faced weren't necessarily that way. So you had the mental toughness to push through and to win that game because you had known, you knew what it was like to suffer defeat and to suffer loss in the game. Well, that's true in the world of sports, clearly. I'm sure it's true in other areas of life. But we're told here in this passage, this is especially true in the life of a Christian. This is how God builds character in us. Uh, Mu, speaking of him again, uh, addresses this and says, um, I do not take any perverse pleasure in going through hard times. I certainly do not look forward to painful experiences that will undoubtedly come. But if I am honest, I must also admit that I too easily settle down in this world. I am prone to lose my fervor for God and his work and to seek security and comfort in this life at the expense of my Christian values. I know from experience that the difficult times I go through loosen my tie to this world and bring me closer to the Lord. I love that reframing of the situation that we're going through right now. Moo's not writing of that, but his words are very applicable to what we're going through right now. The Lord is using this trial, I think, to sanctify us as believers. It's a great opportunity for us to, to embrace th this opportunity to grow through suffering in our endurance, in character, and in hope. So I challenge all of us to see this in this way. And I'm not being naive about the challenges we're facing. I know that many of us are facing significant challenges right now. But I want to call you from the scripture, call all of us, call me included, to think what is the Lord doing in this to sanctify me, to make me more like him, to grow me in endurance, in character, and hope. So as we move toward our close here, I want to look at verses 5 through 6 and look at the trustworthiness of God. So again, if we think of this as kind of like an advertisement for a vacation package, uh, you might ask as you're evaluating a vacation passage, how trustworthy is this advertiser? Is this a reputable company? Can I trust them? Well, certainly we can trust the Lord. And Paul addresses that very clearly here in verses 5 and 6. We're told that hope does not put us to shame. The NASB translates that as it does not disappoint us. 
This is a certain hope. We can trust in it. We can trust in the hope for the future. We can trust for the hope in our current circumstances that we can rejoice now, knowing that the Lord is going to use those challenges to sanctify us. And why is this? Well, it's because of God's good purpose, and we're told here how much God loves us. I love verses 5 and 6 here, like I do other passages, where you can, you can clearly see the doctrine of the Trinity in action. So that great doctrine we hold to, that great biblical doctrine that God is one, but God is also three. He is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So here, verse 5 tells us that God's love, I take it that's referring to the Father, uh, his love has been poured into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit. So if you're in Christ, God has filled you with his Holy Spirit, and through the Holy Spirit, he has poured the love of the Father into your heart. Why is that? How is that possible? Well, verse 6 tells us, because while we were still weak at the right time, again, we see God's sovereignty there. It was at the right time, in God's timing, Christ died for the ungodly. So do you get the picture here? Because Christ died for us, because of Christ's work on the cross, the Holy Spirit pours the love of the Father into our hearts. That is a picture of how much God loves us. It is a picture of the trustworthiness of God. And as we think about what the Lord has done in our lives for those of us who are saved, I think verse 10 is very important for us. So I want to skip in closing here down to verse 10, which says, If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Now, let me speak for a moment to those that might be listening. And as you hear this, you think, wow, I, I don't have peace with God. I don't feel that I am at peace with God. I have not trusted the Lord for my salvation. I have not surrendered my life to him. Well, I would say to you, coronavirus is not the greatest threat to your life. It's not the greatest problem you're facing. Neither is the economy, neither are the various challenges we're facing right now. Your greatest need is to be at peace with God. You need to come to him and you need to confess that you're a sinner. You have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, you need to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You need to believe that he rose from the grave and put your faith fully in him, turning from your sins and putting your faith in him only for your salvation. That is your greatest need. And if you will do that, if you will cry out to the Lord for his salvation, uh, then you will be saved and you will have the peace with God that is described here. So if you're an enemy of God, as it says in this passage, I would implore you to, to turn to him. And certainly there are those at this church that'd be happy to talk with you about that, about how uh, to turn your life over to the Lord. But for those of us that are in Christ, verse 10 is a wonderful promise. Whoa, if God did this when we were enemies, if he sent his son and his son died for us, how much more now that we are reconciled, we have a restored relationship with him, will God continue to work on our lives? I take that to mean in the context of this passage, he will continue to sanctify us and he will one day, either when he returns or when he takes us home through death, we will be glorified and we will be freed from the presence and the experience of sin. So yes, the challenges we are facing right now are many, but I think that this passage is a wonderful reminder of all that God has given us in Christ. He has given us peace, grace, and hope, even in the midst of a world filled with suffering. All right, let me go ahead and close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all the promises in your word, and I thank you for this passage here. I thank you that you give us peace, that we have peace with God. I thank you that we have the experience of grace that stands over our entire Christian experience. 
And I thank you for the hope that one day we will be with you, that one day all things will be made right. And I thank you that we can even rejoice in our sufferings now, knowing that you are using those to sanctify us for your glory. Father, I pray that you would watch over those that are listening to this. I pray that you give them strength in the trials and challenges that we are facing right now. And I pray for wisdom for leaders throughout our country and our world. Pray that they would know how to meet the challenges that are before us. We thank you so much for your word and the opportunity to look into it. Help us to rest in these promises. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.